Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay, and we're in a series called A Man After God's Own Heart on the life of King David from the Old Testament. God called him a man after his own heart, but we see that he was far from perfect. What was it about this man that God liked so much? This series looks at David's environment, his experiences, and his responses to try to discover how we can live a life that brings delight to God's heart. We're continuing in our series with a man after God's own heart, looking at the life of David. This is the fifth talk, and the title is, Has He Lost His Marbles? Based on 1 Samuel 18 through 24, talking about David running from Saul, facing deep valleys. I really like that movie, Peter Pan. What was it with Dustin Hoffman? And, and what was it, Tootles? That's always going around looking. And I said, what are you looking for? And he says, I've lost my marbles. And then the final word on that at the end is he, found, he finds them. And it is actually a bag of marbles, but it's, a, it's used as an expression for losing your mind. Just an overview of these chapters. It was in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel that, that Samuel, the prophet, anointed David. And David goes and gets a job, part-time job, singing for Saul. Chapter 17, David kills Goliath. We already looked at that in a whole lesson, talking about sharpened in secret. Chapter 18, it already starts going badly. Saul is jealous of David. In 19, Saul tries to kill David. That means it's really going bad. I don't know if you've ever had anybody try to poison you or stab you or anything, but I'm sure it's a bad feeling. 20 talks about his friendship with Jonathan. Who was Jonathan? Saul's son. So this is complicated, isn't it? Okay. Then, uh, so David's on the run there by chapter 21, and he, and he is at a place called Nob, where there's the priest, and he gets this sword of Goliath, because he didn't even have a sword, you know. I always wonder, why, why'd you get Goliath's sword? The thing must have been huge, you know. You know, this giant sword lugging it around. I don't know. I mean, it, uh, it wouldn't have shrunk by then. But anyway, maybe David had grown into it. Then he ends up at Gath, which we'll talk about today. Chapter 22, David is at uh, other places, Adullam, Mitzpah. Saul kills the priest at Nob for even helping David at all, and that really proves his murderous intention. Chapter 23, there's a battle at Keilah. Uh, chapter 24, David has a chance to kill Saul, and he spares him. So in this brief little 30-minute Sunday school class, we're sort of covering all of these chapters and we can't. So we're going to really just focus on one particular incident, which is sort of a low point for David in chapter 21. If you have your Bible, we'll look at that. <coughs> chapter 21, starting at verse 10. And as you're turning there, we realize that right after that great victory, and David had done this great thing for the country and for the for king and country by killing Goliath and, and helping the win the battle with the Philistines that his relationship with Saul quickly goes sour. Saul had quickly put two and two together. If God had rejected him for, from being king and was looking for somebody else, then this probably wasn't somebody that was just being born. It's probably somebody 
that's around. He's probably going to be a Jew. So that all, all that kind of constrains it. And so Saul's sort of on the lookout. I mean, if you knew your spouse was being unfaithful with somebody, in any situation, if you go visit him, him or her at the office, if you are in the neighborhood, what are you doing? You're looking. I wonder which one it is, you know? And so Saul was looking around to see who was this person that was going to replace him and figured if uh, he could figure who, out who it was, maybe he could uh, knock him off and at least slow God down. God had to look for another. And when he realized what a neat guy David was and everybody thinks highly of him, he says, wow, man, that is king material, man. And uh, yeah, they like him more than they like me. So in chapter 18, we see a rapid uh, progression of, in terms of Saul's attitude. In chapter 18, in verse 8, he's, it says he's angry. Verse 9, suspicious. Verse 11, already murderous. Verse 12, fearful. Verse 15, he is dreading uh, this whole situation. Uh, verse 17 and 21, it talks about him conniving and uh, trying to figure out how to get David killed, like David actually got Uriah killed by conniving, you know, uh, later on, which we'll look at. But, but uh, Saul says, well, you can marry my daughter as long as you go and basically kill a hundred Philistines. Well, he's thinking, maybe one of those hundred will get lucky, you know, and kill David instead of David killing them. So all these different things. And then finally, in verse 29, he, Saul is even more afraid. So in chapter 18, the whole thing is set up for where Saul from now on is going to be hunting David down to try to kill him. And David was apparently on the run for about 15 years. That's a long time. I mean, when David first got started, he was maybe 15, 16, 17. You know, that, most people think your years from 18 to 30, is that's as good as it gets in, in, on, in a number of aspects, at least as far as your maybe your uh, certain aspects of youthfulness, strength, uh, possibilities, freedom, and uh, spend your whole time, age 18 to 30, running from some bad cop that wants to kill you or bad politician. You think, well, that is really a bummer. And in 21, David finally ends up, of all places, in Gath. Why does Gath ring a bell? Uh, well, that's where Goliath, that's Goliath's hometown. They, he defeated him in a, in a field halfway between Gath and Jerusalem. But uh, that's where Goliath was from. And what, what that means is that's where his mom and dad were. That's where his brothers were, his cousins, his aunts, his uncles. His whole extended family is there. And then the guy that uh, killed, and, you know, it was probably a big family. You know, have you ever seen a family where everybody is four feet tall, but they have one son that's... 10 feet tall, it just doesn't happen. You have a little variation. But big people come from big families. And so, you know, and they were probably not real happy that he'd killed Goliath. So he gets there, and he's only there under duress. And let's see what it says here. It says, David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said, uh, hey, isn't this David? And didn't uh, they used to have that little jingle that everybody was singing that Saul has slain his thousands, but you get David out there and he'll kill 10,000 for every thousand that Saul kills. And David took these words to heart and he 
got very afraid. Verse 13, he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. And Achish says, you know, he's gone crazy. I, I've got, already got plenty of crazy people. Don't, we're not going to worry about him. So that's the whole story there in Gath. Uh, we find out at the beginning of Psalm 34 that eventually the, the king drives him out and, and, and David leaves and the story continues. But look at what he lost. He was really at a very low point at this point. He had, he'd lost his job and there are people just this last week that lost their job. I got a call yesterday from a very dear friend who lost his job, been there 28 years. Now, just that is a pretty big blow to people, isn't it? He hadn't just lost his job. He'd had to run away from home. So he wasn't with his wife anymore. And some people just being on the road for a week away from your wife is a big trial. How about on the run for 15 years away from your wife? Third, he'd lost his best friend. I mean, he was really close buds with Jonathan. Guess who he couldn't hang out with anymore? Jonathan. Fourth, he'd lost his king. I mean, he was a loyal subject. And uh, Have you ever had a leader you looked up to and then they completely defrauded you, turned against you, sinned against you? Just that is a huge blow. He'd lost his country. He wasn't, by this time he's in Gath, he's in Philistia. I mean, this is a gamecock up in tiger country. I mean, he was way away from his comfort zone. They may have even spoken a different language. And he lost his dignity. So I think you've got spaces to fill us in. He lost his job, his wife, his best friend, his king, his country, and his dignity. And all of this really had its origin in just one person. And don't you know that that would push a person to be really angry, mad, sad, you go through the whole gamut of emotions. Because it's all based on this one horrible, unreasonable, wretched person that you happen to have the displeasure of knowing. I wonder if there's somebody in your life that kind of messes things up or has messed things up or makes your life difficult, really difficult. Uh, a parent, your mother, your father, your spouse, don't say anything, but they might be sitting next to you, your boss. Some people have a really unreasonable boss. Some have a really unreasonable mother-in-law, father-in-law. So, for some, it's their, their brother, their sister. You know, when people are into substance abuse and they, uh, or, or something that, that makes them completely unreasonable. And nothing is ever their fault. It's always your fault. And in Psalm 55, it talks about uh, how, what this feels like to be betrayed by somebody so close to you. Psalm 55, 12 through 14 says, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, when I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God together in the throng. This was a Judas-type betrayal. This was somebody close in. This was somebody that had no business being an adversary. He said, that if, it, if it had been a situation where, I don't know, it's a Nazi or a, a communist terrorist or something like that, uh, if it had been bin Laden walking in with dynamite under his arm, I'd have had a clue, hide. 
He said, but I saw you and says, hey, I come up to you and you stab me. What is this? And so betrayal by someone close to you, whether family, friendship, working relationship, is so much more devastating because it strikes so much more deeply. Somebody that you thought you could trust. And so finally we see David having gone through all of this, and now he's in Gath and faking being insane. Now that really is a low, got to be a low point. We all have our dignity, you know, and maybe we don't have tons of it, but what little we have, we like to keep. And surely it doesn't get much worse than having to fake being crazy just to save your miserable life that you're not even sure is worth living anyway. Wouldn't you like to know what David was thinking at that point? You know, a lot of times in the Bible it talks about what was happening to somebody whether it be Adam or Abraham or Moses, and you, you read the story. and you, I mean, we don't know really. We know a little bit about what David was thinking in the battle with Goliath, but it would be fun to interview him, wouldn't it? But at this point, when, when this man who God says, now this is a man after my own heart, when he's at about as low as you can go, I mean, you can go lower because if, if it's your sin, you feel even worse about it because then you kick, it's not somebody else's. At least when it's somebody else's fault, you have somebody else to blame. But how about if it's your own fault? What if you shot yourself in the foot? And that will be another talk another day uh, about David and Bathsheba. But it, at this point, as far as outward circumstances, this guy is Job. I mean, he's lost it all. And wouldn't you like to know what he was thinking? How was he handling this? Did he handle it like Job did, or Job's wife, saying, curse God and die? Here God had made this promise, you're going to be the king. Uh, you're not even in your country anymore. You trusted in God, and look what he's done to you. What was God thinking? I mean, what was David thinking at this point? There are four main points to make here. One, terribly difficult things can happen in our lives. For some of you, they've already happened. Others are happening right now. And some of you, the worst things you'll ever face are still in front of you. Second, often the most painful of these will come from someone close to you. Third, we believe that God is in control and he's allowed it. I mean, that's what it means that he's in control. Nothing, there are no whoops. So, oh, sorry about that. Didn't see that one. God is in control and that means that he allowed it. And fourth, God can use them for our good and for his glory if we trust him. Now, isn't that easy to say? It sounds so good. I mean, we probably said it sometime. But I have a feeling that if you're in a situation like David's, that doesn't seem like an awful lot of help. I was amazed last night to make a discovery, and that's why I made a little shift in what I was going to talk about today. Because I discovered that right at this moment, David wrote a psalm. And in the superscription of the psalm, it says this is what he wrote when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech. That's kind of a title for the king of Achish, who drove him away and he left. In other words, David wrote something in his journal at that moment. I've got the text of Psalm 34. But before you look at it, before you look at it, 
What would you have been saying at that moment? What would you have been thinking? What would you have been concerned about? What kind of things, suggestions would you have been making to others if those things were going on? And some of you, even today, you feel like you're going through troubles. It's, I mean, you, know, you can't compare, but nobody's troubles hurt like your own. And you feel like you can somewhat identify with David uh, as, as being in distress. And so to look at what he says at this kind of a time of distress, let's listen to this. I will extol the Lord at all times. Don't you see how context totally changes the way you read a psalm? You know, if you're thinking he's out with the sheep and it's just this idyllic situation and his dad loves him, hot dinner's waiting for him at home that evening, and he's out there just thinking, gosh, isn't God great? I'm just going to praise him at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. But think, thinking about where he's at, you think, this is absolutely amazing, because all times includes this time right now. Second, my soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. You see, this is happening today. He said, my soul will boast in the Lord. And then people that are sitting here in this class today that are feeling afflicted, they'll hear that and think, if David could rejoice, maybe I can too. It gives you hope. Third, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. He says, this isn't just something about me and David and his God. He says, there's the community of believers that this is our God. Let's exalt his name together. Then he begins to give his testimony. Because you see, this is apparently after he'd left Gath, and again, in Gath, see, he's worried they're going to kill me. And so it says, uh, in that situation, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They didn't kill him, and now he's not in Gath anymore. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He had a testimony. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, this is a man who has lost everything. We heard a testimony yesterday of our Hispanic staff that was just so touching. He said last week, you know, with Christmas and everything, he'd gotten down to where he had one dollar in his wallet. The light of empty was on in his car. He, and he said, I've got nothing. And talked to the Lord about that. Somebody out of the blue, and this hadn't happened in the nine months he's been here, somebody out of the blue calls him and says, can we get lunch together? And said, the Lord's been putting you on my heart, and I want to know how I can help. And he says, well, uh, the Hispanic ministry has these. And he says, no, 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 I'm not talking about the Hispanic ministry. I'm talking about you. Do you have a need? Now, this is the first time in nine months he's been down to just one dollar in his wallet. <laughs> and he says, well, actually, I've only got a dollar. <laughs> the guy wrote out a check, covered all of their needs, and he said, now, what's the deal with your car? And he says, well, the motor was broken, but we were able to find a... I used one and get it, and, and it's working okay. He says, you've got a big family. That's probably not enough vehicle for you. See that van out in the parking lot? That's yours now. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't think 
that the worst circumstances is the last chapter, that it's all over, that, that God doesn't care, that God no longer uh, fulfills his promises, that God cares about others more than you. Listen to what is coming out of the heart of this man of God. You hear this and you realize this is what God liked about him so much. This is why God says, this is a man after my own heart. Do you know how many Psalms Saul wrote? None. Do you know how many times it talks about him really praying and calling out to God? None. Now, David had his faults. He had his problems. He had his sins. Fear the Lord, you as saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. He lacked everything. Well, how can he say this, you know? But that's the stance of faith. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many days. How many people love life and desire to see many days? That's probably half people, right? Maybe a fourth of the people love life and want to live longer. That's everybody, isn't it? He says, anybody that wants to live have a great life and see many days. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Live for God no matter what your circumstances are. Don't go back on your values. Don't reject or turn your back on your God. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. So what's the point? How was David able to respond like this? In such an evil day when most people would have said, forget it, I'm giving up on God. You know, there are a lot of people that are mad at God. You know some of them. And you say, well, why don't, why don't you all go to church? Well, because of this, this, and this. And if God allows stuff like that, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so I was wondering, how could David have the strength, the faith, the quality in his life that when he went through that situation, he would respond that way. How, how could he possibly do that? And the answer I came up with was, because that's not the only time he sought God. He had loved and diligently sought and loved God when all was well. And friends, most people don't. They just don't. Hours for recreation, hours for vacation, hours for TV, hours for blockbuster, seconds for God, unless there's a problem. There are a ton of psalms written. The way we, reason we know this, there are a ton of psalms written when everything was going fine in his life. He didn't just write psalms when everything was going bad. Spurgeon says, what a wretched business is this that we should only be disposed to think of God when we are in our utmost need. Dare we treat the Lord as if he were only to be called upon in emergencies? How can we expect that God will accept prayers that are only forced out of us by selfish fears? But God is merciful and anyone that sincerely comes to him, even if it's your greatest time of need and you haven't been coming, He'll, he'll receive you. The question is, will you go? Will you come to it? It's not so much, will he accept you? It's that you have to train your heart all through your life to pass through those deep valleys. And you train it by walking closely with God when it's not a deep valley.
Some of you have already been through something like this, or you're going through it now. And there's a deep struggle with anger. There's possibly bitterness. In this particular case, as we said, it's personified in a person. There's, there's a name on this problem. This isn't just that there was, we happened to be, I live on the Andreas Fault, and we had an earthquake, and my house collapsed. It's like, no, this guy came and bombed my house. You know, Saul ruined everything. And we realize what, what's in David's heart, because in, the, in these chapters we're looking in, David has a chance where he could kill the problem. It wouldn't be the way God wanted, but hey, extreme times call for extreme measures. And maybe everything would be better off anyway if we had Saul out of there, and I'm ready to be king. God, I'm already anointed. So this is just a detail we need to take care of. But David spares Saul. And the Bible says David was the man after God's own heart. You know, Jesus was called the son of David, and he handled his trials the same way. He also lost everything for you. And those same two things are true about him. He sought God at all times, not just when things were going bad. And also, as far as the, the ones who betrayed and hurt him, he forgave them, the ones who had ruined his life. So the question today is, will, will you follow this Jesus? Will you follow the example of David, a man after God's own heart? Will you seek God while he may be found? Will you make this a year, an incredible year, of seeking God in the Scripture and in prayer? Not because things are going badly. If they are going badly, that's all times are good. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. But just suppose that you are still before the worst times in your life. What will it take to be ready for that time? Today is the day to start preparing. Today is the day to start preparing. So had David lost his marbles? He faked it. But he had all of his marbles. And he'd given all of his marbles to God. And in that moment, God was enough. Will God be enough for you? If he's unimportant to you in the easy times he may seem to be unhelpful to you in the difficult times. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And that was the, the most important lesson that I learned my whole college career. Because I ended up through my own stupidity studying mechanical engineering. I, I switched from mathematics because I wanted to co-op. And they said, well, they don't want mathematicians. I said, well, what do they want? I don't care. And they gave me a list. And I thought, well, I don't know what any of these things are, so which is the one the football players take? It's got an M in it. What was the name of that thing? And I looked down and saw mechanical engineering and looked at the courses, and it said heaters and refrigerators. And I said, how, how hard could that be? Signed up for it, went back to my room. My roommate said, you idiot, that's the top, one of the, three hardest majors at the school. I said, well, what's the one the, the sports guys take? And he said, that's industrial management. I never get it right. 
And so during those next five years studying mechanical engineering and somehow graduating, to put that verse in practice, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that meant starting every single day, getting up early and reading the Bible and praying, even if it was 15 minutes or 30 minutes. It's trying to get a time every evening to have a moment to pray. That if on Tuesday night we had, we would meet to uh, have a word of prayer and then go out in pairs in the dormitory to talk with people about Christ. And I was terrified to do it. But I knew that's what it means to put the kingdom of heaven first. And I'd be tempted Wednesday morning, I'd have a big test right before Tuesday night, which is an activity I didn't like anyway, going out and sharing my faith. So, oh, well, you know, and of course I'd put off studying, so I wasn't prepared. And Tuesday night would come, and, and these thoughts would come, oh, you really need to study, you know. A test is tomorrow. And the verse would come back to my mind. Yes, but seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So I go to Tuesday night evangelism, stay up late studying, wasn't really prepared, somehow I'd make it anyway, ended up graduating. Friends, this book is true. And you can put him first. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. He doesn't ask you to give, give him anything you don't have, that you don't have. You give out of what you do have. And some of you don't have, don't have much time. But you have some time. And you can put him first. Whatever that means for you. In terms of a daily devotional, and there are a lot of different ways that could look. So I want to pray today for you that you won't lose your marbles. You're going to pass through some deep valleys. And God is enough. The question is, will you be at a point where you still have the faith to grab onto him? Or will you curse him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for David. What an example. What a blessing to watch this man go through tragic times, losing everything, his family, his friend, his king, his country, his, even his dignity. And then to write a psalm like this, Lord, that's just a, a shaft, a bolt of light. It's like a lightning flash that humiliates us, Lord, because we realize even my best days I might not write something like that. And I pray that you would help us to ask you, what does it mean, Lord, for me to seek first the kingdom of heaven and your righteousness? And that this year would be an amazing year of taking fresh steps, maybe baby steps, but taking a step toward being the man, being the woman we should be when times are good so that when deeper valleys come, we will be ready to sing to the one who wounds us to heal us, who breaks us to raise us up to be great for him like you did for David. Thank you, Lord. Thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.